Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. So super excited to be here. Good evening, church. I am excited because I believe that God is doing something right now. God is stirring the hearts of his church, but he's also stirring the heart of the world to receive something that we have, the hope and the glory of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so I'm excited. The next two weeks, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. And and I'm excited because I believe that God is actually raising up spiritual warriors in the church right now. He is raising up spiritual warriors who are willing to fight in the unseen realm so that we can experience freedom in the seen world. He is raising up spiritual warriors who stand against evil with the tremendous, fascinating goodness that flows from the heart who is madly in love with God. He is raising up spiritual warriors, and I know I've, I've come out of the shoot going, I know, I'm sorry, but he is raising up spiritual warriors who are not willing to bow the knee to Baal, but who say, as for me, me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I really believe that God wants to do something. I'm not scared of the devil. No, I fear God. I respect God because I know that he's big and the devil is no match against God. But I'm not going to deny the fact that he is a, he is a foe and he, he is a tough foe at that. And so let's talk about that tonight. So I want you to grab your Bibles and let's turn over to Ephesians chapter six. If you're making notes in the front of your Bible, that's the first note you wanna make. Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 18 is where we're gonna begin. And I've got two weeks and spiritual warfare is a large topic. So the question is, what do you tackle in two weeks? And so I've had to wrestle through that within the last month or so of figuring that out. And so I've broken it up into two groups, standing, and then putting on the full armor of God. So tonight we're gonna talk about standing or arising, and next week we're gonna talk about actually the full armor of God. And it was so many notes tonight that I actually had to take some of the notes that I wanted to talk about with regards to deliverance ministry and push those off to next week too. So you're not gonna wanna miss next week. We are gonna talk about deliverance ministry and the authority that you and I hold as Christians uh, in the kingdom of God. Uh, Amen? Awesome. So let's read this together. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces, this darkness excuse me, against the world for, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert, church, with all perseverance and petition for all 
the saints. Father, do a work in our hearts tonight. Show yourself to be good, God, in our hearts tonight. We need you more than ever, and we pray in Jesus' name, make your word alive. Amen. So I've titled this series, Arise. Arise. I want you to notice with me in this particular passage that the word stand is used three different times. Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, it says. And I believe Paul is is calling us to action. And I think we need to be aware of that, that God is calling us to move beyond passivity into action. And one of the marks of a spiritual warrior as God is raising up spiritual warriors is the courage to rise up when there is a temptation to stand down. There is too much at stake for us right now to stand down. In the words of Warren Wearsby, the Christian life is no playground. It's a battleground and we must be on our guard at all times. Now, maybe you say, I I thought the enemy was defeated. I thought we had victory in Christ. And to that, I would say yes and amen. But the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, that's your next verse you're writing down, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Listen, the enemy is out to get us. The enemy is out to destroy us. And you say, well, I don't know if I believe in the enemy. Well, the enemy really doesn't care about your recognition. The enemy is out for your destruction. And so why why do a series on spiritual warfare? Why take the time and actually do a series on spiritual warfare? And because we are a people with a heart and a vision to reach out from a place of strength. And guess what? When you start to take new territory, the enemy is going to push back. And so we need to be aware that we are in a spiritual battle, a demonic war, an all-out attack on our families. And there is a battle going on for the souls of men and women. There is a battle going on right now for the vibrancy and the well-being of every Christian right now in our culture. Right now, we're experiencing demonic warfare with regards to masculinity and femininity. Right now, we are experiencing warfare in our schools. I just took my daughter aside this last week. I just wanted to ask her, sweetie, I'm hearing a lot of stuff on the news, a lot of stuff in social media. Are you experiencing this at school? And she goes, yeah, dad, it's the norm. I'm like, wow, our kids are experiencing stuff in schools that I never thought they would ever experience in life at all. And it's become the norm and people are celebrating it and praising it. Make no mistake about it. We are in a demonic war. There are wars in our households because we have opened the doors and we've allowed the enemy to have a place in our households. We have allowed our devices to open the doors and then an enemy has gained a place in our lives. And you say, Adam, are you one of those guys, those weirdos that believe like devices and apps and social media are intrinsically evil? And I would say, absolutely not. Use them, use them for the good. But I guarantee you, Satan is using them. And guess what? Satan is no idiot and he has a strategy. What is your strategy? You, you want to see somebody have some demonic manifestations? Take their phone from them. I, I've seen it in my own household. My wife took my phone. No, I'm just kidding. So. <laughs> there was an incident in one of the high schools here in, in this area where a student clobbered and beat a teacher almost to death. She ended up in the hospital. Why? 
because there was a threat to have one of his devices taken away. Sarah and I talked to the uh, Halifax Behavioral Services and some of the, the nurses and the doctors that work there, and they were telling us that the majority of the teens that are over in that particular facility right now are there because their parents took their device away and they flipped out. We, we are in a demonic warfare church. Our workplaces have become a demonic uh, mine, minefield. You know, we're, we say the wrong thing. We use the wrong pronoun. You are ousted. You are, you're, you're done. You're canceled. And, and I'm not saying that we should stand down in our workplaces. I think we should stand up in our workplaces. And I think there's a right way to stand up in our workplaces. God has called us to be good employees, working for those wages as unto the Lord. I believe that with all my heart. But here's, here's the story of Daniel. And if you haven't read the book of Daniel, I would encourage you to do so. One of my favorite books in the Bible, along with many others, but that's one of my favorite, because Daniel was a teenager living in a culture that he understood quite well, but then he was ripped out of that culture, kidnapped, and he was taken and put into a culture that he didn't know, the Babylonian Empire. Now his culture, they worshiped God. The Babylonian Empire, they did not worship God. And so Daniel was thrust into this particular culture. And you know what he did? From the very beginning, he purposed and his heart to never compromise his relationship with the Lord. Listen, never compromise in your workplace. Never compromise in your households. We do not have to bow the knee to Baal. And you know what happened to Daniel? He didn't bow the knee to Baal. He didn't compromise. They said, no more prayer. He said, I don't care. I'm praying because the Lord is bigger than your Lord. I guarantee you that. And you know what? Evil men turned their eyes off of false gods and looked to the Yahweh of heaven. That's what happens when we don't stand down, but we stand up. You say, well, the problem is really the government these days and the decisions that they're making. And, and I'm with you. Okay, Proverbs 29.2 says, when the godly are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked are in power, they groan. So I'm groaning with you, so to speak. I understand, but listen, we have to understand that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the demonic unseen realm. And I honestly do not believe that we are going to be able to elect a person that's going to be able to fix this situation. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't vote. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote our convictions. In fact, I implore you to vote. Use your United States citizenship as your right to go out and vote. Please do so. We need good men and women in office that are leading and writing laws. But I'm telling you right now that the solution is not going to come from the White House. The solution is going to come from the House of God. God. Recently, uh, Satanists gathered in Boston for SatanCon. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but insane. I thought, really, this happens? But it does. Evidently, it was the largest gathering they've ever had. They were ripping up the word of God. If you've seen some videos, they were literally ripping it, and there was people, and they were almost worshiping like we would worship and praising. These loud sounds were coming out, but they were worshiping and praising this woman for ripping up the word of God. And, and one Instagram post that I read made a very accurate statement saying, if you think we're in a cultural war, you are wrong. We are in a spiritual war right now. Church, it is time to arise. We cannot stand down. We must stand up. And listen, my goal isn't to scare us tonight, but to make us aware that the devil is a fierce opponent. My, my goal is to inspire and to equip you to fight the good fight. And we need to know that even though the enemy is a fierce opponent, opponent he's a defeated foe. 
Now, I read another post on Instagram about the SatanCon situation. Yes, it was one of the biggest events that they've ever put on, but you know what? Dozens of churches began to mobilize evangelists, and 98 people gave their lives to Jesus that day. Come on. God is big. That is the God we serve. Yeah, enemy, you thought you had us. I don't think so. God is much big. And so the question that I ask you tonight that I begin with is how do we arise? How do we stand up and not stand down? And I want you to notice with me again, verse 10, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, when Paul says finally, it's not like he's this, you know, long-winded pastor and you're like, I see you falling asleep in the back. Finally, we're gonna land this plane. That's not what Paul is saying. It's like, that's, that's not his intent. He's saying that everything I have said before has set the stage for what I am about to say. He's saying that I've really gone into much detail as to how you are to walk as Christians. If you wanna break the book of Ephesians down in a really simple way, one, two, and three, chapters one, two, and three are our identity in Christ. And four, five, and six are how we are to walk out our identity in Christ. That's the simple way to break it down. But starting in verse or chapter four, Paul says, listen, we are called to live in the unity of love. He goes on to say, we are to exercise the gifts. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. And we are to put on our new new nature as the spirit begins to renew our thoughts and our attitudes. And then he goes into chapter five and he says, we aren't to fall into sexual sin, but we are to live in the light and we are to go after the things that please the Lord. And we are to make much of every opportunity that God gives us right now. And then he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he steps into chapter six and he's like, hey, let's break down what a marriage is supposed to look like, how a husband and wife relationship looks. In fact, let's go ahead and break down what it looks like to be a parent or to be a child and your relationship with your mom or dad or your son or daughter. And then he goes on and he says, let's, let's break down what, it, what an employer and a boss relationship looks like. You know, how are you to treat your boss? How's your boss supposed to treat you? And Paul goes through this and then he says, finally, okay, now that I've said all of that of how you're supposed to live out your life, let me tell you something important. It's going to get crazy. There is a battle raging. And so what I need you to do is I need you to rise up. I need you to stand up because this is a serious moment if you want to live out what I've called you to live. So in light of how I've called you to walk, just know that it's going to be challenging. The enemy wants to bring division. He doesn't want unity. He wants division. The enemy wants to take the gifts of the spirit and he wants to blind the apostle so he can't have vision. He wants to deafen the prophet so he can't hear from God. He wants to close the mouth of the evangelist so he can't begin to preach the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wants to confuse the pastors and, and make them really angry at the sheep so he begins to use his authority to beat the sheep rather than care for the sheep. And he wants to, to trick the teachers into believing false doctrines. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to get in the middle between you and your kids and cause division and hate and rebellion. He wants to get into your workplace and create friction between you and your boss and your coworkers. That's what the enemy wants to do. Wreak havoc. But finally, now that I've said all this, 
please know that this is gonna be a challenge. Stand up, arise, and put on the full armor of God. So going back to the question, how do we arise? How do we stand up and not stand down? Notice with me, it says we are to arise, we are to stand in the strength of his might. We are to be strong is what the word says. And it's been a while since I've been in Greek class. I, I did take a couple of years of Greek and my understanding that this Greek word here, be strong, is a passive imperative. And it's an imperative because it's a command. They, they're telling you what to do. Hey, be strong. You need to do this. There is an action, but it's passive in that you're not conjuring up the strength yourself. You're, it's passive in that God has already established the strength and you're stepping into his strength. You're standing on his strength. And you go, well, what is the strength that he's talking about? Well, the first thing that came to my mind was the joy of the Lord is our strength. In Nehemiah chapter eight, the joy of the Lord is our strength. What God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do, that is our strength. And I think when Paul wrote this here, he, he's got in mind what he's already said in Ephesians one, two, and three. Remember that identity thing? So Paul here is, is basically saying, listen, you, you gotta think back and remind yourself of these different things. When, when you became a Christian, when you became a Christ follower, in Christ, you were blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You were chosen before the foundations of the world to be with him. You were predestined. You were adopted. You were redeemed. You were forgiven. You were lavished with grace. You were given an inheritance. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You were transformed into his masterpiece. And that, that word masterpiece literally means that, that, that thing that just everybody notices. You walk into the house and you got your family picture right above the mantle. Everybody's like, wow, that's you and that's me. Jesus transformed us into that masterpiece, freed from the dividing wall of hostility. In other words, there's no Jew, there's no Greek. We are all one people in the family of God. Jesus destroyed that wall of hostility. Freed from that, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are citizens with the saints. We are members of God's households, Christ being that chief cornerstone. That, my friends, is the strength that we are to stand in. Stand, arise, do not stand down. God has done something, he is doing something, and he will continue to do something in and through his body, his bride, his church. So that's question one. <laughs> Let's go to question two. What keeps us from standing? I think it's distractions and doors. Distractions and doors. Remember 1 Peter 5, 8? What does it say? Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The enemy loves to distract us from the mission that God has given us. Martha was distracted by good works. You know, Martha had, in Luke chapter 10, Martha had these great intentions. All she wanted to do was serve Jesus. And it sounds super spiritual. I love it. That's all I want to do. But in doing so, she forgot that the most important thing was spending time with Jesus. And she got so distracted by everything she wanted to do for the Lord that she forfeited time on simply being with him. Samson was distracted from his purpose. Uh, you guys remember Samson, he's the guy with the long hair. And he was constantly distracted from his purpose by Delilah. And, and he was so lost in his relationship with her that, she was, that he was distracted from his identity and he, and he gave away the secret. 
David was distracted from what he had. David was a king. It was his responsibility to go out and fight battles, but he didn't do that. He stayed home and he's on the rooftop chilling when he should have been out fighting. And he looks down and he sees this beautiful naked woman and he gets so distracted. As a king, he had a mission, but as a man, he got distracted. We have to stay alert. So it's 2000, the year 2000, and I'm on board a big gray boat with about 300 men. And we're in the middle of the sea and our mission is to go to the Straits of Hormuz. And at that time we had a treaty that said, you cannot transport oil using anything other than American currency. And what was happening in the Middle East, they were trying to illegally transport oil from one country to another. And so we would take turns, uh, and the, the fleets would take turns and we would head out there and we would, we had seal, one of the SEAL teams on board. They would throw a ladder over the, the oiler that was trying to transport oil and literally take it back with force and take it back to where it was coming from so they couldn't illegally transport oil. So we're, we're on our way to the Straits of Hormuz to hang out in international waters to, to complete this mission and we're going to be relieving another fleet. And so keep in mind, you've got the USS Constellation. That's a large carrier, about 5,000 people, a big city in the middle of the sea, right? And then right after that, you've got these destroyers. And that's one, one of them that I was on. And outside the destroyers, you have these, uh, um, uh, um, not destroyers, I'm sorry, the cruisers on the outside. That's what I was, cruiser with a guided missile. Then the destroyers. And then outside the destroyers are the frigates. And so they're all, their mission is to protect the USS Constellation. And so I'm on watch there in CIC Combat Information Center, that dark room where all the radars are going around like this. And I'm just watching the radar. And that's my job just to watch the radar and look out for different contacts in the air and on the sea and below the sea. And so I'm just sitting there watching. And all of a sudden I hear over the 1MC, man overboard, man overboard. Now this is a sailor's nightmare especially when you got a huge fleet out there of ships. If this guy goes overboard and all of a sudden he gets rolled over by one of these other ships, I mean, we are in big trouble. And so evidently somebody had fallen off the USS Constellation, the carrier, and that is a drop. Just to survive the drop is a miracle. And so, so, uh, so there we are. We, my job was to stop everything, mark our ship's position, and then immediately mark where that guy fell off, immediately. And then I would take the winds and I would take the drift and I began to try to figure out where he was going to be going. And then we would develop a search and rescue pattern as a fleet to go look for this guy. We spent hours looking for this guy. Now, mind you, when you call man overboard, here's what happens. Everybody gathers up. There's a muster. Everybody wakes up. If you're in your rack, you're getting out and you're going to muster. Everybody's standing at attention in their workplaces. And, and you've got the chief that's counting everybody who is unaccounted for, who fell off the boat. And so the USS Constellation does it. 5,000 people. I mean, that's massive. And there's one guy missing. And so they're like, oh my goodness. And so all night long, we are searching for this guy. And then in the morning, we get a phone call and they call off the search because evidently in the port we were in prior to that, one of the sailors got hammered, fell asleep in the head, was passed out. One of the guys in the mess hall grabbed a trash bag and was walking out and threw it overboard. One of the guys up there smoking a cigarette heard a splash and he had seen somebody. So called man overboard thinking somebody jumped overboard. Wow. Can you imagine that? I mean, you've got millions of dollars at stake. Can you imagine how much trouble the guy passed out in the head got in? Like, I can't even imagine. But here's the deal. 
we were distracted from our mission and it cost us a lot. That's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to distract you from your mission. So we battled up in gear this last weekend and we went paintballing for Isaiah's birthday. And so Harlan organized it. And so there was 12 of us that went out and we were ready to go to battle. And we had a blast. It was fun. But one of the guys that was leading one of the courses that we did um, came out to me. Like we, we've been going all night. I mean, just one right after the other. And it's funny because the kids were like, I'm gonna set this one out. And it's because they got hurt and they got scared. They were like sitting them out and like, uh-huh. So anyways, uh, that was fun as a parent. But uh, so this guy comes up to me and I don't know who he is. He's been legal. He's been, yeah, you can hurt him legally. It's like, hey, it's a paintball. I mean, so <laughs> this, this guy comes up to me and, he, and he's the one that's in charge of everything. He goes, hey, what do you do for a living? I'm like, oh, I'm, I uh, work uh, for Fidelity Investments. I'm a financial advisor. He goes, hmm. I said, what's up? And he goes, you have pastor written all over you. I'm like, I looked over and Harlan's doing his thing. I was like, well, that's funny because me and Harlan over there, his name is Harlan. We, that's what we do. We, we have a pastor's heart, man. We love people. And so, and then he, I started to try to get his story and hear him out. And he told me that he was involved in a motorcycle accident about a year ago and he just destroyed his body. He was in the hospital for months and his church never came to visit him. And he was bummed out and he'd been hurt by church. And so he hasn't been back to church. And I said, bro, you got discernment. Like, how did you, like, there's, you got the spirit of God in you. And so I'm trying to have this conversation with him. And then he says, oh, I got to go. And he goes back to work. And I didn't want to bother him because he's at work. You know, he's, he's earning his wages. And I didn't want to interrupt that. So I told Harlan later on that night, I said, hey, man, I really want to just stop and pray. See if we can't get a prophetic word for this guy and just minister to this guy. Let's go after it. And the guy never came back out. And the Lord spoke to me on the way home. He said, Adam, at 10 years old, I gave you an audible voice that you were going to be a pastor. Now, you rejected me then because your pastor wore a gray suit and was very boring, and you thought that's what a pastor was. But then, ultimately, you remembered the call when you became 18 years old, and then when you got out of the military, you went to Bible college to pursue that, and then you got involved in ministry, and then you came on staff at a church, and you were going after it, but now it seems like you're distracted, and I used him to remind you of your call. Got me, Lord. Got me. Wow. Spiritual warfare takes place in seemingly small ways of discouragement or distractions, or it can play out in big ways. And so not only do distractions take our mind off the mission, but so do open doors. And I'm often confronted with the question, can a Christian be demon-possessed? And I think it's an important question to wrestle with. And let me preface it with this. I know that this can be a place of division in the church. And wouldn't it be crazy doing a spiritual warfare series and there being division in the church? The enemy would love that. And so we're not even gonna go there, but I do wanna answer that question. And if you disagree with me, I'm okay with that. Let's have a conversation. Let's be brothers in the Lord and talk this out from a biblical perspective. I'm open to that. Trust me, I've changed my mind like 16 times. So I'm open to this. So, so I don't think possession is the right word. 
I don't think demon possession is the right word. And, and the reason, because it's not in the Greek Bible in regards to what demons can do. If you read the Greek Bible, the word demon possessed is not there. It's actually one Greek word that's used and the King James Bible incorporated this phrase and they, and they made this, uh, it was from the one word, daimonazamai. Daimonazamai, which lit can be literally translated demonized. And so demon possession isn't there. And in fact, Wayne Grudem, one of the, the, the well-known theologians of our day uh, who helped, he was on the committee to translate the ESV, the English Standard Version, really fought hard to get the phrase demon possession out of that translation. And he, he, and he actually succeeded all but one area, which was Mark chapter five, where that crazy dude was in the graveyard, chained up, you know, uh, beating himself with rocks. And then Jesus rolls up on the scene. is like, what's your name, demon? And he's like, legion. He's like, you know, and I mean, just craziness happens. And so they felt like that was a pretty intense story. So let's keep demon possession in there. So they did, they chose to do that. So they ultimately won the battle in that particular situation. But I think it's demonized. And I think demon possession is, isn't a very good translation. Now, when King James was written, maybe it was a perfect translation, but, but language changes over time. And for right now, I don't think possession is a good word. Now, possession, think about this. It's ownership. Like I own my house. Sarah and I have possession of our house. We, our name is on the deed right after we pay it off from the bank. Our name <laughs> is on the deed. We have ownership, right? Nobody can do anything with it. That's our house. My house doesn't do anything. I tell my house what to do. <laughs> Hopefully, there's a lot of repairs that need to be done. Pray for me. But, but that's the idea is that I own that house. And so in that sense, I don't think Christians can be owned by Satan. When we get saved, Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. We're not owned by Satan. <laughs> we were bought with a price and we belong to God. And I believe the biblical way of thinking about it is demonized. And yes, I believe with all of my heart that Christians can be demonized. You say, really show me, let me do that. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 through 27, Paul says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. The word translated foothold there in the New Living Translation, translated in other versions as stronghold or place, is the Greek word tapas. Okay, tonight I gave you the two Greek words I know. Okay, tapas. It refers to a specific marked off geographical location. It carries this idea of a territory, province, region, zone, or geographical position. And it's from this word, we get the word topogra topographical map. And so it's actually the same word used when Mary and Joseph you know, had to put Jesus in the manger because there was no room for them in the end. That word room is tapas. And so it's a literal, physical place. And Paul is saying, you can give the devil a literal, physical place in you if you open that door. Yeah. 
The enemy is constantly looking for an entry point. He's seeking whom he may devour. And Paul makes it clear that Christians can give the devil a place, a literal place, and be demonized. We can talk about it if you don't agree with that later over coffee. You get to buy, we get to hang out. I think one of the most challenging lessons that we can learn as Christians is that protection against demonic attack isn't automatic. I know we want it to be. We're children of God, yes, but that doesn't mean we go through life shielded from demonic influence and, and, and we're somehow untouchable you know, to demonic strategies. Next week, we're gonna be going through you know, the full armor of God and we're gonna be going through deliverance ministry, talking about the authority that you and I have as Christians but the gear and the weapons of a soldier that we're gonna talk about, they're not for decoration. They're to be used in a battle to fight the good fight. And there are, I believe, two ways we can be demonized. Two ways that we can give Satan a place in our lives. Two ways we can, quote unquote, open the door for Satan to enter and to wreak havoc in our lives. Number one is voluntary. Number two is involuntary. And we'll get that involuntary one blows my mind, but voluntary. Number one, not resisting the devil can open the door for the enemy to have a foothold. What does James 4, 7 say? To resist the devil and he will flee from you. So what happens if you don't resist the devil? Is he obligated to flee from you? Doesn't seem to be the case according to this scripture. Number two, if we refuse to wear the armor of God, we open a door for the enemy. If we're engaging the enemy without the protection and the weapons of God and what he's given us, we become susceptible to the schemes and the strategies of the enemy. Number three, if we allow a root of bitterness or unforgiveness to well up inside of us, we are opening the door for the enemy to have a place in our lives. Huge one. Why? Because we justify it. You don't know what they did to me. Any unrepentant, willful, and unresolved sin in our lives can really open the door. And if we've been involved in the occult, I think we open the door. I'm talking about palm reading, reading tea leaves, using a crystal ball, a Ouija board, tarot cards, witchcraft, sorcery. When people look to these things for power, guess what? The demonic shows up. And I've heard stories of demons having power over particular objects. And you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, let me just read you a passage in Acts. In Acts chapter 19, in verses 18 through 19, it says that many people had given their lives to the Lord who had practiced sorcery. So they brought their incantation books and they burned them in a bonfire. Evidently, these books were holding some kind of power over them and they were saying, no, no more. I am renouncing sorcery. I am ridding sorcery. And it says that those books were worth millions of dollars. In other words, they took a big pay cut to follow Christ and that's what they needed to do because it was gonna be better than having the demonic oppression or demonization. Embracing demonic lies can open the door. 1 Peter 4, 1 says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Embracing demonic lies is going to open that door. And here's one, inner vows or oaths can open the door. These are, these are self-directed, self 
focused promises that, make to, that we make to ourselves. And often it's in response to frustration or, or bitterness or anger. You know, I'm never gonna, or I'm gonna, you know, and we begin to make those vows inside of us and they stick and they open a door for the enemy to come hold and have a foothold in our lives. Matthew 5, through 37, you have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vow that you make to the Lord. But I so do not make a vow. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one, Jesus says. So why are we talking about this? Because I believe our unawareness allows the demonic ground to be hidden within plain sight. And we need to be aware, church, we need to arise. We need to stand up, not stand down. I received a call from a friend one day, a really close friend. I helped him plant a church in Turlock, California. Super anointed guy. He calls me one day and he's just distraught. And he says, Adam, I don't know what to do. I'm just calling my brothers and trying to get some advice on what's going on. He adopted his son at a very young age, a baby, right after his birth. He adopted this child. Now he had two girls and he raised the son like it was his own child. He never, they never created a culture and environment where he was less than in any way, shape or form. He was their son. There was no doubt about it. But through the years, as this kid got older into seven, eight years old, he became just wild, untamable, like he, out of control. It was just extremely hard. Anywhere they went, this kid would just flip out. And it was so challenging for them and at 10 years old, the dad uh, heard some stuff in the middle of the night one night and got up and saw his son walking around and was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, nothing, nothing. Go back to bed, son. So he does. But then that, that kept bothering his dad throughout the night. And so he woke up in the morning when his son went off to school and he went into his son's room and he's looking around and he finds this book and he opens this book and his son had been writing a journal of what he was going to do to his sisters when his parents went to bed. He's 10 years old and he's, he's drawing graphics of what he's gonna do to them. And he's like, I, I, I don't know what to do, Adam. Like, what is going on? Like, we've, we have tried everything. We don't know what to do. And I'm like, bro, that is demonic. What is going on here? I don't understand this. And then it reminded me of a story in Mark chapter nine. And so I read that particular passage to him in Mark chapter nine. And it says this, uh, Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, what's all this arguing about? And, and one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. And then he foams at the mouth and, and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirits and they couldn't do it. And so Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Man, like, you think their feelings were hurt? They're like, Jesus, come on, man, what the weird boys? Like, why are you talking to us like that? So, so they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, withering and foaming at the mouth. And how long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. And the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes 
The father instantly cried out, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers who was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. That's a wild story. And I love how Jesus comes to the rescue. I love how Jesus talks to his disciples too. It's just, it's just hilarious. But I love how Jesus comes. What did the boy do? What door did the boy open himself as a little boy to receive this demon? It's involuntary. And so I asked my friend, I said, hey, um, I, this, he's never met his dad, right? And he goes, he's never spent a day with his dad. And I said, what, 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 is, his, like, what is his dad like? His dad's been in and out of jail. His dad is a sexual predator. His dad is this, his dad is that. I'm like, you're describing his son. You're describing your son. And it just blew me away. I, like it, it, it really changed my theology at that moment. I'm like, oh, well then yes, he's demonized, bro. He is demonized. And Jesus, you know, later on, the disciples are like, Jesus, we didn't know what to do. Like we were trying in the name of Jesus with your authority, but it didn't come out. And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer. And so we begin to pray for his son. And we just began to pray for his son. In fact, we didn't know how to pray, so we started praying in tongues. And then we had some strategy, and so we started praying the strategy that we felt God gave us. And then we started praying in tongues more. And, 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 and today, I, I don't know how everything is going, but I see Instagram photos quite a bit, and it seems like life is back to normal again. Listen, voluntary, involuntary, the devil is seeking to devour and to destroy the church, his children, the people. And again, my heart is not to scare us tonight, but to make us aware that the devil is a fierce opponent. Spiritual battles often happen when we begin to advance into new territories, experiencing new demonic activity. And, and you think about it, Joshua, you know, taking the, the nation of Israel over to the promised land. The, the, the battles that, that he had to fight to get over there. You know, the, the, walls of, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down and the battle of Ai and so on and so forth. Now, the Lord had given him victory and he was to stand in the strength and in the courage of God and go forth and he would win the battles, but he still had to take action and go for it. And God gave him strategy along the way but he experienced the enemy in ways that he had never experienced the enemy before. Nehemiah, when he started to rebuild the wall, he begins to experience the enemy like Nehemiah has never experienced before. Why? Because he's taking new territory. I'm telling you right now, we have a vision right now to, to reach out you know, to our community, to reach out and to love the people that are around us in our workplaces. The enemy says, I don't want that. You are going to be experiencing pushback. And my advice to you is to go back to Ephesians and stand up, arise, and do not stand down in the strength of the Lord. Listen, church, I know getting weary of marching around the same wall can creep up on us. Adam, all we're doing is marching around the wall. But what if today the wall falls? The battle that God has entrusted to us won't be won with our strength, but as we stand in his strength. Defeats aren't often speedy, but they come from patient endurance. 
And we have to learn the difference between fast food prayers and spirit-filled intercession. There's no quick fix to breaking generational bondage, to winning nations, to taking cities, to taking back our families. It is a daily fight and we have to stand up and not stand down. It's a daily fight to take the territory that God has given us. And the enemy wants us to give up on that sixth lap because he knows what'll happen if we march around one more time. Next week, we're going to be talking about deliverance and the full armor of God. How do we actively fight this battle and close the door to demonic activity? And I'm excited about it. I hope you are as well. But as we conclude tonight, remember as Christ followers, we have the ultimate victory. If God is for us, then who could possibly be against us? 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. Psalm 46, 1. God is our God of refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Psalm 34, 7. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. We have the victory. And if you're facing temptations, attacks, and trials, and difficulties, then you're likely experiencing spiritual warfare. Reach out. I want to encourage us. Reach out. I went through a pretty hefty time, and I'm going to conclude with this story, but I went through a pretty heavy, heavy time in the ministry at a local church I was a part of. And I got burned, really hurt. You know, and I, I, I'm sure I did some burning and some hurt. That's just typically what happens. Uh, but I got burned and I got hurt. And the Lord told me as soon as I walked out the doors, don't allow the enemy to have a foothold. And this is gonna be hard, Adam. And so I, I told myself every day at lunch, I would go to work and every day at lunch, there was a local park and I had an hour lunch. And so I'd take my Bible and I would go to the local park and I got out and I walked and nobody was around and I was just like, sweet. And I began to read the gospels of Jesus. I began to read how much he had forgiven me and how could I hold somebody else accountable to what they have done if I've done so much for God and he forgave me. And I began to read this and began to minister to myself and the enemy did not get a foothold in my life. And there are moments like that, but then there's other moments where I've been hurt or, 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 or I just, it's, I can feel the bitterness and the unforgiveness welling up where I didn't have the, the strength to, st- to stand up. I couldn't even stand down because I wasn't standing up. I was sitting down and I had no strength. So I had to call my brothers and sisters, help me stand up. And so they came over and they helped me stand up and began to pray in tongues over me, began to prophesy over me, began to pray that the enemy could not have a foothold and began to cast and deliver me from what I was going through. And I would encourage you, church, don't go through this alone. If you can't pick yourself up and stand up and arise, then call your brothers and sisters that you trust who will help you stand up and rise. Church, this is fun. I'm excited. The Lord is raising up spiritual warriors. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, thank you, Lord, for tonight. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for your word. 
Thank you, Lord, for teaching us and for protecting us and for showing us and for giving us the strength to fight the battle that we're in. Lord, I just pray for strategies right now. I pray, for, uh, I, I pray for those that are in this body and those that are listening right now. I pray that there would just be a calling to go into government and that you would begin to give them strategies on how to create laws and how to create culture in the government. I pray that there would be teachers that would be raised up that would begin to just create culture in the schools, in the classrooms that would transform the lives of young people, Lord. I pray for doctors and nurses. I pray for financial advisors. I pray for you know construction workers that when they're on the you know, on the, on the field, working on the house or working on the building, that they would begin to proclaim the goodness of God that lives would be transformed. And Lord, I just pray that you would just do a move and a work in our own hearts, draw our hearts back to you if we've become unaligned. Align our hearts with you, Lord. We need to see with your eyes. It's so easy to go after an individual, but the battle is not against them. It's against the principalities. And so teach us your strategies, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Hallelujah.